We, uh, we were talking about some uh, things last week uh, about getting ready for the, the day that we would be trained for. We looked a, a lot at the life of Joseph. Joseph, you all know the, my favorite character in the Old Testament, but Joseph is probably number two. And a real close number two, too. But we, uh, we saw that for all the things that we know people for, the, the men of faith, the women of faith, we really only know them for one, two, three, four, maybe five days of their life. They lived 40, 80, 100 years, some longer than that, and we know them for a handful of days, most of the time less than a week. That it seemed like they are being prepared in their life to get ready for this day that would approach them. I thought of an example. I thought of this last week, but I didn't uh, talk to you about it. But how many of you get magazines at home? You like to read magazines? I get magazines. I, I get a couple. Uh, not really all that many anymore. Uh, I used to get computer magazines and stuff, but they bore me anymore. It's, they're just getting into stuff that I don't need to get into. I have to, you have to have an interest in it. But I still get a couple of running magazines. Now, if you get a magazine in, in, the, in the mail and you, you read it and, oh, that was a good one. I like How many of you all know, you know, you get 12 Usually in a month, in a year you get twelve in the subscription for the thing unless you have one of those weekly ones. But if you just get a monthly one, you usually get like twelve of them. And some of them stand out. Some of them say, "Oh, I really like that uh, that magazine last week." Just some of the articles they put in about it and stuff. And uh, I was thinking about this, and you know what makes for a good magazine? Generally, one or two articles. I mean, that's it, really. There's a lot of articles in here. But really only one or two. Now, I'll just take Runner's magazines and stuff like that. There's a couple of them. I, I just grabbed the closest one I had. This is uh, Runner's World. Uh, probably my least favorite of the ones that I get. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's okay. It's got in there a, a shoe, shoe buyer guide. In a Runner magazine, this is the thing that if you're wondering, what in the world do you write every month about for running? I'm sure people are out there thinking about that. And what in the world could you possibly read about for running? For Well, there's stuff that they can do. Some of the things that they do is they focus on people who are runners. And they do like a bio on them. I am not interested in that. When I come upon those people and we're going over their life and, and things like that, I don't care. You know, where you came from, what you're doing, what, what, I, I, just, it just doesn't, I just skip right on past that. We go on to the next article. Then sometimes they write articles about races and tell you what happened at a particular race and who won and where it went and different things that happened on the field. I don't care about that. I don't want to sit there and read about races. So I, 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 don't, read about, I don't read about races. Uh, once in a while you find uh, once or twice, I think twice a year, they do a shoe buyer's guide. I like a shoe buyer's guide. Now when they do shoe buyer's guides, there are three kinds of shoes that they make. I can only wear one of those kind, and I'm only interested in a, in a half dozen of them. So when I go through the shoe buyer guide, I look at all the ones that are for uh, support, all the ones that are for motion control, and I skip them. I don't need them. I won't ever run in them. I don't need to know anything about them. So we just kind of push them off to the side. I look at the neutral shoes. That's the only ones that I care about. And when I take, the, take that, then there's, only, there's uh, two types of neutral shoes, and I look at the kind that I like, which is uh, they call it neutral plus. I'm not going to get into why they call it that, but that's the ones that I, I tend to. So any other shoe that's in the, the guy, I throw it out. So now when you have the shoe buyer's guide, that's a good thing. makes a good uh, magazine. I throw out more than half the shoes and don't even read about them. About the only thing that I ever look at this thing for is articles on how to train and advertisements. Because you know, maybe some kind of new gadget 
or some kind of new thing that you can go out there and, and, uh, and use to make you run better or help you out with that. And so that's about it. So, you know, I can sit down and I can read this thing in 20 minutes and be completely satisfied and throw it out. Because only sometimes you go through it and, well, there's nothing in this one. Have you ever had that? You have a magazine you subscribe to and you went through the whole thing and nothing interests you. Threw it out. Yeah, not memorable. Most of the days of our life, folks, are not memorable days. But most of the days of our life get us ready for the things that are to come. We got a little movie clip for you to watch. I got to give you a little highlight on this. Now, we've had some other movies. I've tried to get other people involved to help me find some movies because, you know, uh, I like certain movies and other people like other kind of movies. And last week we got a little different taste of, of uh, some Christian film miracles. And that was good. I did enjoy that movie before. But this goes back to my favorite stuff. This is one of those classic scenes in Star Trek. But I got to set the stage for you here first. In the stage, uh, in this particular movie, this is the, the first one of the new series. This comes from the, the, the first Star Trek, I think it's 2009 that was made. And in the beginning of the movie, this movie starts out with a bang, if you have not seen it. And all of a sudden, upon the Star Trek Enterprise, its captain is uh, confronted with this huge ship. And this ship is making war on this little tiny ship. And they call for the captain to come over, and all of a sudden the captain is over there on the bridge in the other, other place, and they kill him. And the Enterprise has no more captain. And so the, the acting first officer becomes captain of the Enterprise, and he takes it. Well, the person who that is is James T. Kirk's father. He takes charge of the Enterprise, and he says the only way we can do is to send everybody out of here, and he's going to pilot the ship by himself and drive it into this massive, massive ship, and blow his ship up to try and let them all get away. That's what happens in the beginning of the movie. If you never saw it, that's what goes on. Run our clip, if you would. Can I get another one? For my dissertation, I was assigned to you. Thanks. You know, that instinct to leap without looking, that was his nature, too. And in my opinion, some Starfleet's lost. Why are you talking to me, man? Because I looked up your file while you were drooling on the floor. Your aptitude tests are off the charts, so what is it? You like being the only genius-level repeat offender in the Midwest? Maybe I love it. So your dad dies. You can settle for a less than ordinary life. Or do you feel like you were meant for something better? Something special? Enlist in Starfleet. Enlist? <laughs> you guys must be way down in your recruiting quota for the month. Well, if you're half the man your father was, Jim, Starfleet could use you. You can be an officer in four years. You can have your own ship in eight. You understand what the Federation is, don't you? It's important. It's a peacekeeping and humanitarian armada. Are we done? I'm done. Riverside Shipyard. Shuttle for new recruits leaves tomorrow, 0800. Well, your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives, including your mother's. And yours. I dare you to do better. You know, I couldn't believe it when the bartender told me. I dare you to do better. I love that line. That is such a great line. I dare you to do better. Something else he passed on to James T. Kirk. He says, you can settle for an ordinary life. Do you know that? You as a Christian, you can settle for an ordinary life. You can never 
in your life experience being extraordinary. But being extraordinary does not need an extraordinary life. It is made up of a few extraordinary moments. But your life is set to get you ready for them. Last week we were looking at Joseph, and I just want to review the things that help us to get there, the learn, the practice, and the train. How do we learn? We hear the Word. We read the Word and we study the Word. That's how we learn. You have to learn in order to get better. How do we practice? You practice by doing what you learn and you share what you learn. Do what you learn and share. Talk about it with other people. How do we train? Meditate on the Word. Pray the Word. Don't pray doubt and unbelief. And talk the Word. That's how you train. You get yourself training. Push-ups, sit-ups, they don't make you a better uh, better on the uh, uh, football field. You never do push-ups, you never do training, or never do um, pull-ups and sit-ups. You don't do that on the football field. You don't do that on the soccer field. You don't do that in the hockey arena. But they make your muscles ready. Training makes you ready spiritually so that when you are called upon, you can do the thing that you need to do. Put in your outline last week, just reviewing for you. More time is spent preparing than is spent doing what you were prepared for. More time is spent preparing than is spent doing what you were prepared for. God spends a long time getting you ready. He'll spend a long time getting your getting yourself ready. Joseph's dream, I couldn't get everything in the last week that we were, God was showing me about Joseph and his life. Just extraordinary. But Joseph's dream, remember his dream? He had the dream of 11 stars coming and bowing down. And then he had the second dream. The second dream was the 11 stars and his mom and his father were going to come and bow down. All his brothers and his mom and his dad were going to come and bow down. Two dreams. Of all the times in the Word of God that a dream is given, this is either the only or one of the very few As far as I know, it's the only time that a dream is given that makes itself in the Word of God and is not interpreted. It is not interpreted. And every time we look at this, we always focus on the wrong thing. We focus on the 11 stars and we focus on mom and dad and and brothers coming and bowing down. And the two dreams, if we look at them that way, are different. But the first thing that Joseph, we saw last week, the first thing that Joseph said to Pharaoh was, when he had two dreams, what is the first thing out of Joseph's mouth? The two dreams are one. The two dreams are one. Dan, uh, jo- Joseph has been living this for a while. Two dreams, one meaning. He's been living this. The first dream he got was two dreams and one meaning. Pharaoh had two dreams and one meaning. The meaning was, get ready, famine is coming. The two dreams were, the the cows, that means all the food that you would raise would have a problem. And then the the barley, all the food food that you would uh, grow would have a problem. So every kind of food, whether you raise it or you grow it, is going to have a problem. There was famine that was coming. The two dreams were, remember the two dreams? First off, 11 stars are coming to bow down and 11 stars, the sun and the moon were going to come and bow down. That's the dream that came to him. I want you to, this, I didn't get to get into this last week. I'll tell you, you got to, sometimes when you read the stories in the Word, you have got to picture yourself in their shoes when they're going through this. 
Joseph has a dream that he will rule and his brothers are going to come and bow down. He has this dream and then he gets thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. While in slavery, he's still thinking about this. While he's there and he goes through all the things in the, he does in the this, this part of slavery, he gets put into prison. Can you imagine yourself being in this place? Would not the thought come to your mind while you are laying there in the prison bed, while you're doing the prison laundry, while it is that you're doing things like that, that dream that God gave you is never coming about. Why would your brothers come and bow down to you when you were in prison? And you could discourage you and get you to quit training and quit practicing. But Joseph doesn't do it. While he's a slave, while he's a prisoner, he continues to train and he continues to practice. If you weren't here last week, it's up there on the internet. You can uh, download that. It's important for you to understand how he continued to train, how he continued to practice. He continued to get himself ready. He continued to be sharp. He continued to hold on to that dream. Father God, you gave me that dream that 11, my 11 brothers are going to come and bow down. And it's not about them coming to bow down. It's not about that. He just said that's what's going to happen. He had all these years to contemplate this and figure out what in the world was getting ready for him to do. When the brothers first come, how many of you went on home and read chapter 42, 43, 44, 45? If you saw that, the first time the brothers come, how many come? Ten. Ten are bowed down. Is that the dream? No. Now, they don't come. He, he takes over at age 30. At age 37 is when the years of plenty are over. And year 38 of Joseph's life is the first year of famine. I don't think they quite come at year 38. They wait until the famine is so severe they have no food left. Year 39, they probably send them. And they get enough food and they get by for, for whatever period of time they do. But then they, they send others. But on that first one, there's only 10. His dream was what? Eleven. Did God miss it? No. So he starts, he starts questioning them. Do you have any more brothers? He, he, and, that, and the Bible brings it out very intensely. He questioned them. He pushed them. What's going on with this? Oh, we got another one. What's he got to do? He's got to get them to come back and to bring the other brother. Because the dream is eleven. And then the dream is the mom and dad. Everything's about that dream. He's looking for that dream. He has spent so much time meditating on this dream. Father God, what were you telling me? What were you trying to do? And God the whole time is saying, it is not about them coming to bow down to you. It's about what you need to do to them. It's about how you need to respond to them. Two dreams, one meaning. Two dreams, one meaning. The meaning is, Joseph, when you get into that place and your brothers are there before you, what you do is important. And I need you to be ready for it. I need you to be ready so at age 17, even before he was 17 years old, God was telling him to get ready. And this would not happen for over two decades. But he gave him the dream. Because what he had to do was he had to help his brothers out. And God was going to help him to do that. You see, when Joseph saw his brothers, he had three choices. One, he can enact revenge. If Joseph said the word, these folks are spies, kill them all, they all would be dead. If Joseph said, sell them into slavery, let them experience what I did, 
they would have been. All, all Joseph had to do was say so. He is second in charge of the whole land. Pharaoh says, you do what you want. I trust you. Take care of it. Whatever you say goes. <laughs> you got my power behind you. That's all you had to do. You see why God had to make him ready? Joseph, you can't take revenge. This whole thing is about preserving them. It's all about preserving them. Now, we can't just preserve them. See, if it, if it was just about preserving them, his second choice would have been good enough. His second choice was to reinstate them. Forgive them. He could have just said, hey, guys, it's me, Joseph. Everything's forgiven. It's cool. You know, God had a good plan. It was a little rough for a while, but, you know, we're in good shape now. And, you know, it's just nice to see you again. He could have done that, right? But he didn't do that. Because he had two decades to meditate on this dream and for him to be ready to know exactly what to do. Because God did not just want them reinstated. He surely did not want revenge taken on upon them. He wanted them to be revived. Because even in that day that they came before him, they're still struggling. If you read it over, if you read over those chapters, they're still struggling. See, this is coming back upon us. What we did to Joseph, it's coming back upon us. This, this, the evil that we did to him, it's not come upon back on us. They're convinced of it. God says, you've got to fix this. These guys are broken. They're in bad shape. We've got to get them. They're, they're to be the patriarchs. I need them better. I need you to help them. You've got to get them there. And so Joseph worked on them for quite a while. Joseph did what God put in his heart to do to bring them back. If it was up to Joseph, the moment they showed up, he said, guys, I'm Joseph. I'm so glad you're here. I forgive you. Let's go. That would have been Joseph. And if you read the chapters, you would get that from him. Joseph is fighting himself to not do this because God had told him, this is what you need to do. See, the interpretation is not put in the Bible. But we see what the interpretation was. We see what happened with it. We want to go on to somebody else. I said Joseph is my second favorite character in the Old Testament. You all know who's my first? Daniel, he's my first. I just so enjoy this guy. If there, if there could be a line when you get to heaven to, to meet Paul, <laughs> to meet Moses, you know, Timothy, all these guys, Peter, James, John, there'll be a line for those guys. I'm going to Daniel. Uh, there, may, there may be a line for Daniel too. I'm kind of expecting there to be a line there. Maybe it won't be as long, but I'm going to be over there. I'm going to be over there. Wait, I'll wait on that line. Oh, man, I tell you what, I can't wait. I got all kinds of questions. Studying this guy's life and seeing the things he's done, I want to hear about it. Chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king. Who has appointed your food and drink for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you in the appearance of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. 
Now, people have come out of here, the vegetables are better than, than meat, and you wonder about me. How is it that you can hold to that and Daniel is your favorite character in the Old Testament? I mean, have you ever asked that question? How is it that Daniel loves vegetables so much and I despise them? How, how could that possibly be? It's simple. Daniel loves meat too. He just doesn't like meat offered to idols. And he'd rather give up the meat offered to idols and eat the crummy vegetables. I, I guarantee you, when we got up to heaven and I sat down, we have a good, he and I, we're sharing a hamburger. A steak. Something, you know, we're, we're going to have some meat. I guarantee you, we'll, we'll be there. We'll have it. He'll, he'll even say, Steve, I know a real good, real good cut. You haven't had this one yet. <laughs> so he consented with them in this, in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature, wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, in comparison to Joseph and Daniel, Joseph's calling in the dream was to rule, right? Joseph, in practice, was called to manage. There is never a call on the life of Joseph that we see to interpret dreams. But he does. But there's never a call. The call is to rule and to manage. On Daniel, he has a call to do dreams. And the dreams that he gets are earth-shattering. The visions that he has knock their socks off. Now think about this. Daniel and his friends are not in Babylon by choice, are they? They are there because Israel sinned. That's why they're there. They're there because an invading army came and was allowed to capture the nation and to take away some of the uh, prisoners. They are there because they were head and shoulders better than all the people that were there. Because when he came, he took the best of the, of the people and they hauled them off. Daniel was taken, his friends were taken because they excelled. That's why they're, that's why they were taken. They're, they're not there because God gave them a dream and said, hey, I'm going to take you to a foreign land, you're going to interpret dreams and everything's going to be cool. He doesn't give them a dream like that. He doesn't give them a call like that. Uh, and it's not even their own sin. They were not idol worshippers. The nation was, but they were not. They were, they worshiped God. So they are in a land, not by any of their own doing, not by their own choice, and not by their own will, and not even called by God to go. Imagine that. And yet there they are, in the land of Babylon. Now at the end of the days, verse 18, when the king had said they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, therefore they served before the king. Now, the people who were in charge of these folks, Daniel had favor with them because they, uh, they liked him. Have you ever met people that you just had favor with? Have you ever uh, uh, met people and you just liked them? You just, you heard that none? You just met people and said, man, this, I like them. They're nice. No, no background, just met them today. But just something about them. I liked them. They're all right. And have you met other people? They said, holy cow, I'm staying away from that one. I want nothing to do with... You can just tell right off the bat, this is not a person that we, uh, <laughs> that we necessarily want to be in. You can tell some things from the, from the outside, right? You know, if you're in a neighborhood, 
How many of you, you, you're shopping for a house and you walk into a neighborhood? I don't like this neighborhood. I don't care what the house looks like. I don't like the neighborhood. And you leave. And you go into another neighborhood, and this one's, uh, this one's pretty good, right? You know, we were, I was out delivering yesterday. I didn't know where I was going. You know, uh, if, you, if you ask Daryl, if you ask some other people, if you say, I'm going to this place in the city, he'll tell you exactly. That's a nice area. That's a bad area. I've already talked about, oh, that's a bad area. He says, I don't know that. I just get an address, and I'm going. I'm driving on down there. I'm going on down to this place in the city. And uh, oh, I'm going for a long time past some very ugly places in the city, places I hadn't been before. And I'm looking on down and says, this is not pretty. It was not pretty. I mean, my, my truck is uh, six years old now. And there was nothing that looked as nice as mine. Of course, all my bumpers were intact and all my headlights were there. And uh, (laughs) it was a bad area. And I'm getting closer and closer to it. I'm about 15 minutes away. And I'm getting, see, you know what? I bet you this is the neighborhood this guy lives in. This is what we're delivering to. This is where we're going. And I'm looking down the streets and there is no parking. You know, know, when you're in a certain spot, there's no, everybody's got a parking spot. So I, I stopped and I sent him a text, and I said, um, what am I doing about parking? And he sent me a note back, and he said, um, uh, well, we'll just park you in the street and put your flashers on. I said, oh, I don't like that, because then after you get done unloading, then you've got to go find a place to park the truck and put the truck in and, and things like that. And, and this, is a, this is a tough delivery. I knew this was going to be a tough delivery, and it was even tougher than we thought, so I said, oh, this is not going to be good. So, you know, we're going on down. It gives you an opportunity to practice some things. I said, Father God, I just thank you that you're working this out. We're going into a, a rough neighborhood. We're, we're doing some things. I just thank you for uh, opening up a way and just doing all this sort of uh, getting things going on for us. And I just appreciate that. He, he sent me a text back in about three or four minutes and said, I got a, I got a spot opened up right in front of my house. Glory to God. <laughs> it's good. So, uh, so I pull on down in the, in the alley. It's not a road. <laughs> I pull on down in the alley that he lived on. And I'm going on down, and there's a big truck in the middle of it, and I can't get through. So I have to go around one way, this way, or finally get around the, to the other side and then come back in here. And, um, and as soon as I get in front, he, he comes out the door. He guides me into the spot, and we get to meet each other. And nice guy. Oh, I'll tell you what, nice guy. Just one of those guys, as soon as I met him, I said, oh, this is a nice guy. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're here doing this. And uh, we had a good time. Tends up, he runs a mission down in... Uh, down in the city for homeless folks and uh, some other things. And so we got to talking about all that sort of stuff. And it was, it was a tough delivery because it was a really big bed and it didn't fit up the steps. We had to take the bed apart down below, put it back together, get up in the room, and then assemble the bed. So uh, our delivery, I think, turned up being two hours. It was a long time. And he was there helping me out the whole way. We had a real good time. But, you know, we're sitting there talking with each other, and I said, ah, I like this guy. I, I don't like the neighborhood. I would not buy a house here in this neighborhood that's... Uh, yeah, not a good neighborhood, but I like this guy. And we were talking about it. He talked about the house that he got. He bought that house, he said, for $5,000. I said, how did you get this house for $5,000? He said it was abandoned. <laughs> and uh, then they took it abandoned and they fixed it all up. I said, I would never know this is an abandoned house. This, this looks nice. This looks really sharp. And then he took me outside because we had to do something outside. And He took me outside and we, he had this, all this grass. And he says, isn't this cool? I got grass. And he, he did. He had grass. He had a shed. He had a, a, all sorts of stuff in, out there. And he said, he said, this is how we got this. He said, I bought this for a 1000 There, I guess there was a house on it or something on it before. 
Uh, you can kind of tell, you know, the, the houses that they go that this one was taken down. It was in too bad a shape, and they got, got it for $1,000 for the, the lot there. Blessings of God, $6,000. They got their house there paid for. Glory to God for them. That was good. Running a mission, doing some things down in the city there for God. It was, uh, it was good. But, you know, you can walk in and you can say, I don't like this neighborhood, but I like these people. These are nice people. And we enjoyed our, our time there. And first time I ever saw a little, little girl named is Selah. <laughs> Never heard anybody named that before. I'm sure that there are people out there that are. I just haven't met them. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. So what you got is, when Daniel is there with, with these guys, people liked him and brought him to the head of class. When he meets the king, the first time he meets the king, the king talks to him, the king says, I like this guy. <laughs> this, I like this guy. This guy's all right. And his three friends, I like them. Who are these? These guys are good. We need to set them apart. We need to do something because uh, I like them. And if the king says he likes you, you're in, good, you're in a good place. But he said he found them ten times better than everybody else. Ten times better. That's not because they ate vegetables. I mean, seriously, it's not because they ate vegetables. It's because they continued to train and to practice. They practiced the word. They prayed correctly. They prayed in faith. They did this all the time. So that it was, it was just normal. Now, you just think about some of the things that you're practicing. Have you ever run across somebody who complains all the time? Do you know why they complain all the time? I'm going, to let, I'm going to give you a little secret. You know why some people complain all the time? As soon as you, I mean, as soon as you talk to them. Hi, how you doing? Oh, not good. It's, it's just not a good day. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, what's going to happen? Complain. Complain. You know why they do that? Because that's what they practice. If you practice complaining, if you open your mouth, guess what you're going to do? You're going to complain. That's what you're going to do. That's why don't complain. If you practice worrying, if you're given a situation, what are you going to do? You're going to worry. If you practice being grumpy, what are you going to do? You're going to be grumpy. Aren't grumpy people grumpy all the time? They don't just become grumpy. They're grumpy because they practice. How about joyful people? Why are joyful people so joyful? Because they practice being joyful. Every day they're out there, they're practicing. I'm joyful. I'm glory. No matter what they face, glory to God. The word comes out of their mouth. Prayers come out of their mouth. Thanksgiving comes out of their mouth. Why? Because they're practicing. They're practicing what they know to do. Whatever it is that you practice is what it is that you will do. Make sure you practice the right stuff. Keep doing the right stuff. You go to God in prayer, practice praying the word. Just practice. You just keep practicing. Just keep, keep getting ready. Do what you know to do. Keep it going. All right. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We're getting, anybody read uh, my Facebook post this morning? Anybody not read it? All right. Well, a couple of you have no idea what's coming. But this, we're, this, we're getting to the spot here. We're getting to the spot. God woke me up with something this morning. I'll tell you what, I, I mean, I woke up with this. It was, it was 
It was unusual. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king and the king said to them, I have a dream. My spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. This is so cool. How many have ever watched the movie Red October? The Hunt for Red October? If you, it was a great movie. I love that movie. I haven't seen it in a while, but it was a fantastic movie. They did something in that movie that was astounding. They had, in the beginning of the movie, remember it's subtitled? And the Russians are speaking Russian and the um, Americans are speaking English. Until on the Russian submarine, um, oh, I forgot his name, uh, Sean Connery, the, uh, the, the submarine captain. He's in his room and he opens the Bible. And he begins to read. And when he reads, do you remember what language he read it in? English. And from that point, Russians spoke English. It was such a neat transition. They spoke Russian all the way up until the time that he opened the Bible. He opened the Bible and began to read from the Bible. And he read English. And from there on out, all the Russians spoke English. It was amazing. (laughs) It was just a neat effect. But they let you know that, hey, they're speaking different languages. But we're going to get rid of that so that you can all understand them here. And I just thought it was great. They did this. They got that maybe from Daniel because in the book of Daniel, this is the only book in the Old Testament we have that is not written in Hebrew. And this is where it changes. It is written in Hebrew up until this spot. And when it says here, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. From that point on, it goes on in Aramaic and it doesn't change. It changes the language. I don't know that because I read it because I can't read either Aramaic or Hebrew. I've been told that. You can go check it out yourself. I can read Greek, but I can't read these other ones. O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, and shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor, therefore tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king, let the king tell his servants a dream. We will give his interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream, there is only one decree for you. For you have all agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me the interpretation. Then the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean is a difficult thing that the king requests. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they became, began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. You've been around here for a while. You know this dream pretty well. But the misconception about this dream is that the king forgot the dream. The king does not ever forget the dream. This dream kept him awake. This king knows the dream. What he tells him is, you have been speaking lies to me, but I haven't been able to catch you in it. I know you're not giving me right interpretations of the dreams that I'm giving you. So here's what we're going to do. This dream is way more important than any other dream I've ever gotten. I've got to make sure that you can tell me the actual interpretation. I've got to qualify you because I don't trust you. You haven't been truthful with me. You've been telling me lies. That's why that's in there. He says, so here's how I'm going to qualify you. You tell me the dream, and I know you'll qualify to tell me the interpretation. 
And they said, that's not right. I mean, no king's ever done that. You, you need to tell us a dream. We tell you the interpretation. That's how it works. That's how we always do things around here. Come on. Get with the program. He says, no, you're trying to buy time. Not going to do it. Uh, and they said, no one has ever asked that of anybody. And this is what really got him mad. Because he says, no one has asked. Only the gods know that. And they don't dwell among flesh. Now he's irate. Because he's been paying them to communicate with the gods. And they're saying right now, he doesn't talk to us. <laughs> Can you imagine that? How mad would you be if you had a whole program set up, education system, put people in it, paid their, their uh, salaries all year, took care of all their needs, housing, their food, everything, and then they tell you, you've been paying us to talk to the gods. We don't talk, actually talk to gods. He's furious. And so he sets out to kill them. To wipe them out. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. They have already started. They're not rounding them all up. They have already begun killing wise men. I guarantee you they started with the guys in the room. They started with them then they started going after the rest of them in the program. Let's get the rest of these. These were the, probably the, the best of the, the best. Let's get rid of them. They killed them off. They are already killing people. This does not sound good, does it? I put this in your outline for you. Where others have failed, you can succeed if you believe. Where others have failed, you can succeed if you believe. These folks failed in this. It doesn't mean that Daniel will. Now, people have already been killed. I put this question in your outline. This is real important for you to answer. Where does this dream come from? This dream did not come from Nebuchadnezzar. This dream came from outside of his, himself. Where does the dream come from? There's two sources the dreams can come from, isn't it? The dream could come from God. We know he sends dreams. The dream could come from the enemy, Satan. Where would this dream come from? Does Satan know all that was in this dream? Probably not. Probably not. Does, does Satan desire for the Chaldeans the wise men, to be killed? They're his people. They're his pawns. They serve him. Why would he want them all to be wiped out? They're the ones that are keeping the king Nebuchadnezzar in the path of the devil. Why would he want to kill them? This dream, the interpretation we know, we can jump ahead, we already know, Daniel gets the interpretation. Where does Daniel get the interpretation from? From God. So who probably gave the dream? God. God has given a dream for the opportunity of telling what's going to happen down the road. And as we saw, it was an opportunity for Daniel to, to excel. Now, let me tell you something here. This dream comes and before Daniel even has a chance to step on the floor, is almost killed. Before Daniel even gets an opportunity, he's almost killed. Now, picture this. A dream that comes from God almost kills his servant. Does that seem right to you? A dream that comes from God almost kills his servant. He's beginning to round them up. Now think of some of the other times that people were rounded up to be killed. Back in the days of Moses, they rounded up all the uh, babies. Why was that done? 
because Satan wanted to wipe out the, the deliverer. In the days of Jesus, they rounded up all the babies that were two years and under. For what purpose? Because they wanted to kill Jesus. Who instigated both of those things? The enemy, Satan, trying to get at the seed. Who does this one? Who instigates this? Does God? No. Does Satan? Why would Satan want to kill his own people that are doing his... his I mean, this is like witches and... These are, these are evil. These are idolaters. These are people who lead people into idolatry through signs and wonders and crazy things. This is done because Nebuchadnezzar got mad. Nebuchadnezzar gets mad and comes after Daniel. This is one of Daniel's training days. He has been training all his life. He has held to the Word of God. He has kept his life in line with what the Word of God says to do. When he has asked the opportunity to, to veer off and to take uh, meat offered to idols, he doesn't do it. He continues to pray three times a day because he set that up. He has been training. He has been training. He has been practicing. He's been doing these things. And here this day comes upon him, this day that would elevate him. And he is almost killed. This is what came to me this morning. Training days can sometimes be lethal. I mean, that woke me up. Man, really? (laughs) If you don't handle a training day right, it could kill you. That surprised me. Now, I'll tell you what. We're not all going to face a training day that is lethal. You might. You want to see some other people who face a training day that was lethal? I can tell you uh, right off the bat, ten other people who faced it. Their names begin with uh, Peter, James, John, Matthew. The list goes on. Because these folks, when Jesus was taken out of the garden, what did they do? They fled because if they didn't, they thought they were going to die. They were not ready for their training day. They failed miserably at it. And they were almost killed. You see how important it is that we get ready for these days? We think that God is in control of all things and nothing will happen to you. No. God is getting you ready to handle what is coming. If you don't get ready, it is not his fault. When you prepare for a military, they, they train you. They have all kinds of things that they do. Train you with sometimes with live ammunition. They get you ready for when you're out there on the battlefield because they don't want you to do something stupid to get yourself killed. They train you to get you ready. But sometimes people do things that are stupid on the battlefield. How many of y'all watch those movies? People did something stupid. Doesn't Private not, uh, Benjamin, is that what, uh, Ryan? With the, saving Private Ryan, that's the one. Don't, aren't there some people who do something stupid and die in there? Yeah, yeah. And the movie brings it out. They did something stupid. They weren't supposed to do that. If they didn't do that, they wouldn't be dead. But uh, they did that. Folks, there's some things that if you do not allow your training to get you ready for, when you hit this day when God needs to call on you, when you need to be ready, it could be lethal. Tell you what, that surprised me. I hadn't seen that in this story before. It could be lethal. There's other ones beside that, but uh, we'll let you figure them out for now. So this is your outline. So a dream that came from God for the purpose of promotion. Isn't that why this dream came? 
to get, let Daniel be, be, to stand out, that he'll get the interpretation for the purpose of promotion, could have the result of killing Daniel if he wasn't ready. If Daniel does not step up to bat, if Daniel does not say, hey, take me to the king, hey, give me a day, I'm going to get the, the dream and its interpretation. If Daniel doesn't do that, where is Daniel? Dead. If he is not ready to stand up and to do this, it's over. Verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. He just got this news. With counsel and wisdom. Where does he get the counsel from? Same place you get it. Holy Spirit <laughs> spoke to him. He said, God, what do I do about this? And wisdom came into him. Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? I'll tell you what, your first question that you ask when you are in a situation like this is really important. This guy is going out to kill the wise men. Who is Daniel? A wise man. What's Arioch's job with Daniel? Round them up, get them killed. So your first question better be a good one. A lot of times what we do is we ask, why does that happen to me? What right do you have to do that? You can't do that to me. We ask questions like this, right? What would that do? His head be off. We're not even going to... We're just going to kill you right here, man. If you ask a question that irritates the man, he's going to kill you. Because that's what he's supposed to do, is kill you. If you irritate him, he's going to make it easier. So he said, God, I, I'm going to have one question here. I've got to get his interest. What, what am I supposed to say? How do I get his interest here? And God says, ask him this. He, Daniel does not know yet what is going on. All the things that have happened in, the, in this. He knows a little bit about it, but not, not, not much. He knows that the king's mad and we're all going to die. <laughs> so he says, uh, he doesn't say, what right do you have to kill us? What right do you have to do any of this? Uh, I didn't do anything. Yeah, I'm over here in my room. Um, he doesn't say that. He says, why is the king's request so urgent? Is that what you're asking? I mean, if you're being rounded up to be killed, why do we have to do that now? <laughs> would, would that be your question? But is that not the best question to ask? Why is the king's request so urgent? Oh, it's urgent because he had a dream and they didn't interpret it and now he's mad. It was the perfect question to ask. And it opened Arioch up. He took time out of doing what the king said to do. Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time and he might tell the king the interpretation. More than likely, Daniel does not go directly, though he could have because he's already been found ten times better than everybody else. He may have just sent the message along with Arioch. Arioch, look, he knows me. Tell him the guy that he saw, he really liked. He told us, you know, we're ten times better. Tell him that guy. That guy is saying, give me till tomorrow. I will tell you the dream and its interpretation. Tell him about both. That's stepping up to the plate, isn't it? Daniel has been training, training, training. We don't know all the things that are going on in his life up to now. We know this one. Because this is the day he was trained for. This is not the only day he was trained for. This is one of the days he was trained for. It says with wisdom and counsel. With counsel and wisdom he answered. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. And Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their real names. His companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret. So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. There's the purpose. What is the purpose for asking God for this? So we don't die. 
not to help humanity, not to make the world a better place. Simply, God, we want to know this so that we don't die. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. You know the difference between a vision and a dream, right? We went over that a little bit ago. Vision, you are awake. Dream, you're asleep. So he's not sleeping. He's, he's, he's up. I guess you would be too. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. How many of you, if your life is on the line, are taking time for a prayer like this? I mean, as soon as you get the answer, what are you going to do? Ariok! Ariok! Come here! Come here! I got it! I got it! <laughs> Aren't you going to do that? Let's get in there real fast. Let's let him see. He, you know, I got, I got that. I said the day, I got it in like six hours. We're here. You want to, you want to show off. And got, it, got it fast. No, he takes time. He says, thank God. Thank you for doing all this. You've made known it to me. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said, to the, said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king. and said, Arioch, he's quick about it. Daniel's taking his time. I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. When you run into people like this in the workplace, don't be bothered by it. They won't bother you. They won't hold you back. But how many folks in the workplace try and take credit for what you did? That's what's happening here. Try and take credit for what he did. Daniel found Arioch. Daniel asked Arioch a question. And then Daniel said, I'll take care of that for you. Arioch is finding nothing. But he'll stand up there. I found somebody. I found. King wanted to know the interpreter. I found them. Just so you know, whatever he gives you, I found him. Thank me later. He also must have some confidence that Daniel is the real deal. Because if, if Daniel doesn't have it, Ariox is as dead as Daniel is. That's how much confidence he has in Daniel. That's pretty good. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? I don't just want to know the interpretation. <laughs> I want to know the dream and the interpreter. Are you able to do that both? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, now it doesn't go well here in the beginning, but it's better. The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. Oh, I've heard this before. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Oh, I haven't heard that before. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Who made known the dream? God. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about the world, uh, about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than any, anyone living. But for our sakes, who makes known the interpretation of the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. He says, I know better about this than anybody else. God told it to me for the purpose of keeping us alive and so that you can know what's going on. That's it. But as for me, the secret was not been revealed because I have more wisdom than anyone living. 
But does he? He does, but I don't have any more wisdom. Because he sees it comes from God. God gives it to me. God tells it to me. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel. This is after. We're jumping down to 46. He's already told him the dream. He told him the interpretation. You can go back and read that yourself if you want to. I don't want, if I get into it, I'll get distracted. You know, We'll go off into other areas. We want to focus on this part of it. But he tells him the dream, the image, all the things that happened in the dream, and he tells him what each one meant. And King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded they should present an offering, an incense to him. Can you imagine that? A king with this much anger, this much pride, who falls down prostrate before someone from a foreign country because he gave him the dream? That's how remarkable this was to this king. Man, you got it. I didn't tell it to a soul. I didn't tell anyone. There's no way that you could have found this out. God told it to you. Wow. He's, he's really amazed at that. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of, uh, the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of, the, of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. He was elevated. This was a promotion day for Daniel. This is the day he had been trained for. This is the day that God says, I want you to be instrumental here in helping out my nation. I'm going to put you in a place where you can do that. And he was elevated to that spot. He rose to the challenge, and what looked like was going to kill him, promoted him. Folks, you have, and I, we have gotten discouraged about some things that have gone on in our life because we've looked at it like these things are going to kill us. These things are going to take us down when they were actually supposed to promote you. But you did not let your training have its effect. And you were not ready for the day when it came. And you look back on that with disgust, with hurt, with all kinds of things because you were not ready. I was not ready. We were not ready for something. And that day came. One more I want to read here before we, we go. We can go through this pretty quick. Please, Darius, to set over the king, kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, and the satraps might give account to them so the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, The king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some, this is a different kingdom than the one previous, find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the governors and satraps thronged before the king and thus said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, have counseled together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God. 
as was his custom since early days. What is interesting to note here, and we've brought it out every time we've gone over this, that Daniel, who was being considered to be put over the entire kingdom, king is thinking, the, pharaoh, the, 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 yeah, the king was thinking, you know, I'm going to put Daniel over everything. He's just so good. Whatever I put under his care, sounds like Joseph, right? Whatever I put under his care, man, just I'm going to, I'm thinking about putting, he's probably mentioned this to some other people. Other people here, and I want that position. I want to, I want to do that position. We've got to find a way to get rid of Daniel. You know, there's nothing in the way that Daniel conducts business that we can bring charge against. He's perfect. Can't find anything wrong with him. Can't bring charge to the king according to any law, according to his doing his job. He's always on the job. He's always doing what he's supposed to do. The only thing we can do is we can get the law to go against his God's law. And so they can concoct, concoct this whole thing. Here's what I want you to see. Daniel knew about the decree. He knew the law was being written. He knew they were presenting it to the king. Of all the people that were before the king that day, who has the most influence with the king? Daniel. If Daniel walks in on that meeting and says, King, they're trying to get me. That's all they're doing. They just want to get me. The king would never have signed it. And we would never have this story in the Bible. But it says very specifically, remember Daniel's the one writing this book. When Daniel knew that the law had been signed, he opened his window. He got on his knees. And he prayed three times that way, the same way he had done yesterday and the day before, the day before that, all the way since early days. He did not change. God does not inspire this law. God is not behind this law. God is not in this like he was in the dream. This is done by the enemy to try and get Daniel out of the way because Daniel is a problem. He has been a problem and the enemy wants to get rid of him. So he gets these men inspired to do this thing and Daniel knows about it the whole way. We don't know how. It could just be that he's praying and God says they are concocting the scheme. But here's the thing. Daniel does not lift a finger to stop it. Would that not be, if you knew a meeting was going on at work to try and get rid of you, would you not at least show up at the meeting? Would you not at least want to talk to people that are involved? Daniel doesn't. And when they haul him in, he doesn't offer any defense. And he says, and the king tries to say, Daniel, I, I, I got to find a way to get you out of this. And he, he labors all night to try and find it. And people come in and say, hey, we got you on this one. You got you to throw him in the lion's den. It's all the way to it. And the, Daniel says to the king, look, don't be concerned. Don't be concerned. I'm going to be fine. Go ahead and do it. Throw me in the lines, Dad. It's all right. Can you imagine that? Because Daniel knew this was a training day. Daniel said, I've been trained up for this day, and I'm being tested. And when I come through this test, there is something on the other side. And there was. There was something greater on the other side. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 11, we have some of the greatest revelations of the end times ever given. And it comes after this time. But after Daniel came out of the lion's den, the greatest of visions came to Daniel. He proved, I'm not giving in. And God says, hey, 
You just, you just prove something for me. I can put this on you now. I can give this to you now. If you've ever been down to Lancaster when they do the plays, if you were ever down there for Daniel, they interpret this this way. That while Daniel was in the lion's den is when the angel visited and gave him the vision of chapter 9. Don't know that it happened that day. and Don't know that it didn't. I know it had happened there around that time. Daniel knew it was a training day. It was a day set up by the enemy to kill him. But it was a day that he rose up. And even being thrown into a pit of lions would not stop him. It was a lethal day. But he came through just fine. He was ready. Are you ready for the training day that awaits you? Here's the thing, folks. Daniel knew some things about his training day. Joseph had no idea when that day would ever come. He just had to constantly be ready. Constantly be ready. Are you going to be constantly ready? Or are you giving up? Are you quitting your practice? Your training? How long did Joseph train and practice for? 30 years until he saw his position change. How long did Moses practice for? How long did Abraham? We haven't trained that long yet. Will you continue to train? Will you continue to practice? Will you continue to go on? Will you be a Joseph? A Daniel? Or one of the ones who failed on their training day and died? There are some people in the Word of God like that. They failed on their training day and they died. doesn't matter how young, how old you are. You are being made ready for something. Will you continue to train? Just stand up with me. In case you missed this in your outline, Daniel sees this as a test. He saw this ahead of time as a test. He saw it coming. For some believers, the days are you are being trained for may even have a fatal potential. That's all right. As it is often said, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Practice, 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 and keep on training. What is it in your life that you are doing that is getting you practiced? Practiced. How many of you know people at work who always show up late? Why do they always show up late? Because they practice. They practice at it. Why are some people at work always on time? Because they practice. Whenever you have something going on, are you late for it? Or are you on time? I told you when we were being raised, if we were not five minutes early, we were late. You need to be on time. I kept that up all my time. Whenever I was at work, I was always early. Make sure I was early. I practiced to be early. Whatever it is that you do, there's practice. Just showing up for whatever it is you're supposed to be at on time. Just remembering the things that you need to do is practice. Speaking the word out of your mouth. Having joy is practice. Being a worshiper is practice. Folks, there are things every day we can do to practice. To get ourselves ready. 
all the while saying, Father God, I know training day is coming. I don't know when it is, but I know it's coming. And I want you to know when it comes, I will be ready. I will be ready. And you think about Joseph. And you think about Daniel. You think about their lives. And you say, that's what I'm going to be. I am going to be a Joseph. I'm going to be a Daniel. And while some other people will look at too. I'm going to be one of those ones who is ready. I'm not going to be a Peter and James and John who fall asleep in the garden. And when training day comes, they run. I am going to be ready. When you see someone who needs the word of God, do you share it? When you see someone you can lay hands on, do you lay hands on them? Or do you tell yourself, well, that probably won't work out well. When you see an opportunity to doubt and fear, you say, now I'm going to practice being in faith. I'm going to believe God. Every day you are presented with opportunities to not practice the Word. So every day you are presented with opportunities to practice it. Will you keep it going? Get yourself ready. Your entire life may be spent getting you ready for one day that God needs to call on you. And people will remember you for one day. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to make us ready for our training day. For the day, don't know when it is, but a day is coming when everything else that we've done is practice. But this one's the real thing. We fail. People could die. People could go to hell. We need to succeed. We need to be made ready. As we leave here, as we go to work tomorrow, as we do the different things we're doing, help us to stay focused on everything that we are doing around us, that we are practicing, training, getting ourselves ready for that day. Because that day is coming. We need to recognize it. We need to step up to bat. And we need to know we can hit it. Just like Daniel did. We thank you for such great examples in the Word to help us. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Hope we got some praise reports. Do we have some, some praise reports turned in? All right. No praise reports today? All right, we got to get working on that, huh? Oh, we got some back in there? We have some coming. Okay, I just have this one from Daryl. He says, God has healed me of the sensitivity I've been having with my teeth over the past mm. several weeks. Praise God. It's one thing I hate is teeth pain. <laughs> um, before we go on, I do have some announcements to make. The one was in your bulletin about your um, contribution statements. Please don't leave today. I'm looking around. I think I have one for everybody. Um, please don't leave today without them. Go through them. I had hoped to have one, like I said earlier um, last week, but with things with my brother, I didn't get them done. So please look at these. Make sure they're okay. If there's any question, concern, whatever, we still have time to change it, but let me know ahead of time, and we'll get that worked out. Um, how many of you, when you came in this morning, noticed the flyer on the front door? Did you all get to see it? No, it's right on the front door, right by the front, right as you first went. I was, I was doing this. I'm like, okay, I'm short, so I'm going to try and put it right where people will see it. Our rushers had them coming in really fast, so. Yeah. 
Okay, well, good. I'm going to explain it right now. Um, this lovely lady is Angel Garrett. How many of you don't know her? You don't know Angel. Okay. I know you don't know Angel. She is coming on April Saturday, April the 18th. That is also the same day we are having a prayer conference. Now, that prayer conference, I had hoped to have um, the flyer for that today, too, but we were having some trouble with Kate's bio and whatnot coming through on the computer, so her secretary is helping with that. But Kate McVeigh will be here. It's going to be held at the Homewood Suites just up the road here in Doylestown. It's a beautiful facility. We have lots of lots of room. Breakfast will be served and lunch as well because it's a day an all day thing. Um, we'll be starting registration around 8:30, 8:45, and then going through until I think the last uh, service for Kate will be around two. Um, so hopefully we'll be done by three. This um, is just a night of worship with Angel. She's just coming and she's going to be leading us from seven, starting at seven o'clock. Hopefully we'll be done somewhere around nine. Um, those of you who are not familiar with Angel, she has led worship for many, many, many years. And I'm just going to give you this real quick about her bio. Um, <coughs> she travels extensively in the U.S. and abroad, ministering in concert and leading worship. She's a gifted vocalist who has shared the platform with C.C. Winan, Juanita Bynum, um, Ron Canoli, Bishop Joseph Garlington, Morris Chapman, Judy Jacobs, Alvin Slaughter, and the Parachute Band. She's the worship leader for Gwen Mollier. I don't know if any of you have heard of her as well. She's a noted author and internationally acclaimed teacher of Proclaiming His Word Ministries in New Jersey. Um, so she'll be here that night, and we can. she's been a friend of, of ours for over 25 years now. Um, but come expecting a great night of worship. Come expecting that day, too. Kate McVeigh, those of you who don't, do not know her, um, Kate is... Uh, a Rama graduate as well. She she preaches a lot on the favor of God. Um, she does teach a lot on prayer. She's very humorous, very um, easy to follow. I just enjoy her quite a bit. You can go up on her website and listen to some of her things and just see what what Kate's been doing. So mark that day down, April the 18th. 